0: Welcome to Alive and Kickin', the '90s football podcast—the podcast that's more '90s than wearing a neon bum bag and thinking it's cool. Yeah, you did it. My name's Ash Rose, your host on this—the original 1990s football podcast—and today we're hoping to give you a bit of a break, a bit of a respite—a word I use a lot on the following show—from what is a oh, it's a crazy old time. Horrible time, really, in the world right now. I imagine you're listening to this in your house on lockdown or on your one hour exercise, or even if you're in self-isolation, because it's just, yeah, we've never seen anything like this in our lifetime, have we, because of this coronavirus? It's a very scary time. I hope everyone listening to this is well in terms of their health and they haven't been affected health wise by them or their families because you know the numbers we've seen especially in Europe and they're growing in the UK are absolutely terrifying so I hope we can give you a sort of look back now close your eyes forget the nastiness that's happening in 2020 and give you a little look back especially today because today's show is very meaningful to, to especially the people on it but I think a lot of people listening to it too well as we go back and uh, look at the, well, I like to say the best decade of football there was. Uh, and, and especially on today's show, because we're going back to something that's 30 years ago, which is scary when you think of it like that anyway. We're going to look back once again at Italia 90. Yes, that seminal tournament. My first real football memory as well, at Italia 90. So it was a real... Um, sort of labour of love, as this podcast always is, but this especially, because there's so many little tangents and little nuggets about Italian 90 and, and my first foray into football, my obsession beginning that makes this tournament very special to me. Uh, and we're doing it because a um, friend of the show, um, formerly on before and formerly the editor of Football Pink, Mark Godfrey, is launching a brand new podcast for the summer. And it's going to be even more imperative now that there's no Euros to, to get by. He's celebrating the, the 30-year anniversary of Italian 90 by releasing a new podcast... That will be, I think it's June it drops. You'll go into more details on the show, and every day there'll be a new show throughout, as if it was day by day in Italian ninety. So instead of enjoying Euro twenty ten, why not go back in the summer and you'll be able to listen to Mark's brand new Italian ninety podcast. He's got some amazing names on there as well, World Cup winners, um, established journalists um some rabble from the Life and kicking podcast as well but some great guests that he's uh he's going to break down it's really really fun so i thought what we'd do in light of that as well is have a look back at italian 90 ourselves it's something we have done in the past we did an episode on italian 90 way way back uh, at the start of the show i think we had kevin sheedy on it as well so go back and listen to that this is more of a sort of light-hearted look at our favourite bits of the tournament. So I hope you enjoy that. I did put a tweet on the uh, Twitter feed as well about your memories of the tournament, which uh, I'll go through a couple here. Um, Glenn at the Live says, Lothar Matthias' goals against Yugoslavia, Platt's late goal against Belgium, Baggio's goal against Czechoslovakia. That gets all... Talked about in the following show. Dean at 8 at White says, being eight years old, hide him behind the sofa during England v. West Germany semi-final penalty shootout and then crying. Not the only one, Dean. Definitely. Rob Cromwell says, Jack Cholton's response to uh, the, the above, which was the picture of uh, Ricard and Waller. I'd have gobbed on me. I'd have decked him. Brilliant from Jack Cholton. Stephen Graham at Stevie G underscore 81 says, Platt in the last minute of extra time. Trust me, Stephen, that gets a lot of love on today's show. Darren Strange says, where do I start? Pavarotti theme tune for BBC. Lothar Mateus boss in the midfield for Germany. Gaza, plat volley against Belgium. Malinica penalties against Cameroon. Roger Miller dancing around the corner flag. Remember it was like yesterday. Don't we both, Darren? And then finally, Cecil Slip at Lee Roberts underscore BFL says far too many memories. One of the best adventures of my life was at this game. My first visit to the San Siro blagged a free ticket off an American family outside before kickoff. Nice one, Cecil. I remember this infamous incident talking about, again, the Reichardt-Vola uh, spit, but couldn't obviously see the spit. So I thought he'd said something. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's an amazing tournament. And do check out Vintera which is the name of the podcast. Mark does it much better. I'm butchering the Italian there. And you can follow them on Twitter themselves at Vintero, which is V-I-N-C-E-R-A 90 on Twitter. But you'll see us retweet a load of that as well. As throughout the up to the build-up to when the podcast drops in June. But yeah, so that's Talk Italian 90, Dewey. Uh, One more thing before we get into the meat of the show. I just wanted to send a special thanks out to the guys at Six Yards Out. Do check them out on Twitter at Six Yards Out Shop. Retro merchandise. They sent me a brilliant um, QPR mug with the classic FM kit on it. I know they sorted out Matthew with a uh, Brian McClare mug with a classic Newton Heath half Man United shirt from the early 90s as well. Um, Great retro gifts. For when this is all over, we can actually get out, you can send and give to your loved ones. Um, so, yeah, do check them out on Twitter. You'll be hearing a lot more from Six Yards Out on the show as well. So, let's talk Italia 90. Let's forget t- the horrors of 2020 that's going on at the moment. Let's fly back to Pavarotti, to World in Motion, to Scalacci, Baggio, Linica, Gascoigne, L- Mateus, Chow, the mascot, all on today's show. This is Alive and Kicking.
1: Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Alive and Kicking, hoping to give you a little respite from what is, well, madness, isn't it, out there? Absolutely nothing we've ever experienced before. We're all in self-isolation, in lockdown, it's it's craziness. I've got my daughters in the other room who uh, yeah, are running against the walls, and <laughs> driving my wife up the, up the wall as well, but it's all for the safe reasons. Hope everyone is okay out there and safe and well, and, and it hasn't affected you too much. We're gonna bring some 90s light into your life, on today's episode because it's good to be back we haven't been back for a while um hopefully we'll be about a bit more during this epidemic so we can give you as I, I say a bit of a respite and um, we're going to go back 30 years today to a very special summer which we'll talk about in just a second but let me first bring in today's regular who's always on the show i haven't spoken to him for a while though and he's been about he's been all around the country before he was isolated as the rest of us um how you doing matthew how's things in the world of matthew christ very well thanks yeah um i can't complain i mean it's not a lot of difference for
1: me really I'm, I'm sitting around I'm writing stuff and I'm sitting around and I'm writing stuff and that's about it really I mean like you say the only thing is I'm limited as to where I can go but um, other than that uh, if I didn't watch the news channels I probably wouldn't know any difference apart from the fact I can't go to the pub
0: yeah it's all it's all taken getting it's all adjusting isn't it but you before this whole thing happened you've been seeing your old mate Chucky and you? you've been doing bits and bobs with him as well
1: Yeah. Yeah. um, Just, just hanging out as we do, you know. um, (laughs) Football friends. Yeah. 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 uh, I was actually supposed to go to the uh, Scotland-Israel game with him this week, but um, obviously that was called off, but um, hopefully, I'm assuming that game will take place at some time. So uh, obviously when that gets reshaped, we'll, uh, we'll attend that. But um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't mean to downplay it by any means, obviously, but um, you know, I think it's given everyone a chance to sort of, reset and readjust and do maybe do a few things that they wouldn't have done previously because um, there's not so many distractions but in terms of the sort of things we do you know it sort of almost gives you a, a, a green card to sort of crack on with a few ideas that you might have had up your sleeve that you uh, you've been put, putting off but of course the only problem is that the lack of actually anything to talk about and write about so uh, but that. As you know, that wouldn't bother me because I'm Mr. Retro and Nostalgia. So really, you know, I I
0: don't really think anything exists after 1990 anyway. So, <laughs> so, so um, um, it, you know, pandemic, what pandemic? Yeah. Although your your article today, I saw that's a bit more recent it's about empty stadiums, isn't it? That you've released, yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. I just asked a few fans. I mean, there was obviously the I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with this <clears throat> football season or, or the next or, or the Champions League or anything. It's a, a huge issue. And it just got me thinking that. Obviously, there's a chance that the season could be played out. And if it's played out uh, in empty stadia, you could well have Liverpool winning the league in an empty stadium. You could have teams getting promoted and relegated, and actually nobody would be there to say, uh, "I was there," which is a huge thing for football fans, isn't it, to say, oh, "I was there that day." And so I just, yeah, massive. I asked around. I asked around a few uh, sort of notable football supporters to say to give me their examples of games they. They swerved and uh, ended up regretting, so they couldn't actually say they were there. I mean, obviously slightly different because this is in force, but it just got me thinking of uh, those sort of great games that people didn't attend and uh, wish they probably had. Rather like you probably wish you'd attended Old Trafford on New year's oh. day 1992,
0: I did I I, do. I was watching it on my nans. Although if you talk to most QPR fans, it's a case of, you know, they're were, they were all there. There was only yeah, a set but they're apparently, you know, oh, I was there, but I'm not sure they're yeah. always telling the truth. Um, that's bringing our, our guest today, though, because we're going to talk. We're going to travel back to 1990 and Italia 90. Yeah, you can hear Nesta Dorma ringing in our ears because we put it on our Twitter feed yesterday. Um, because we're going to talk to former editor of the Football Pink. He's now got a brand new podcast out. You may have seen it on Twitter because we've retweeted it about and stuff. I'm going to let him pronounce the name because I'll butcher it. But welcome back to the show, Mark Godfrey. How you doing, Mark?
2: Yeah, I'm all right, Ash. How are you doing?
0: Yes, getting by, mate. I mean, I write for a you know a monthly football magazine for my day job, as as you well know, for Kick. So, what we're going to write about over the next few issues is kind of weird, but we're we're getting by. But yeah, how how's things your end in in lockdown?
2: Uh, well, it's a little bit different. I mean, I do work from home a lot of the time, uh, but my uh, my day job takes me internationally. So, um, you know, I had a pretty full calendar for March and April, but come about the uh, the middle of March, that was all. You know, wiped off the wiped off the planner, uh, and here I am staring at my office wall and watching a lot of kids TV with my four-year-old. <laughs> yep. uh, yes. been, been out in the garden, been out in the garden, you know, doing bits for the podcast, uh, catching up on stuff that you know you otherwise really don't get to do in, in normal life. So I think there's going to be a lot of that, isn't it, for all of us? Probably for the next, I don't know, two to three months, quite easily.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of things, that you, you know, now we're going, oh, we can do that now, we can do that now, which I would love to do, but I also have a four-year-old and also a new baby, so having time trying to keep them two going and then go, oh, I need to put up those shelves, we need to clear out the loft, I don't know how much time there's going to be in between, but I'm sure we'll get there at some point, and as you say, it's going to be a couple of months, but let's talk about the podcast, um, it's Italia 90 day by days and it, tell us how about it and how it came about and what we got to look forward to over the next few months when it's released.
2: Sure. Well, I mean, uh, just to, to give you a tip on the pronunciation, it's it's vincere, uh, hey, which guys. of course, if um, anybody who who knows Nessendorma Dorma knows the 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 great crescendo, the climax yeah. of it uh, with Pavarotti singing vincero, which is the Italian for I will win. Uh, well, vincere is a is a version of that. It, it's it's the imperative form of of win, if you like, or to be victorious. So rather than just you know steal it straight from Ness and dormer i thought I'd, I'd go a slightly different route there with the name but everybody pretty much knows where that comes from um mm. but um I'm, I'm, I'm a big italian 90 fan for various reasons firstly I, th- I think it was an amazing tournament um despite the reputation it, it rightly has of, of some really awful uh you know stayed boring football at times yeah um but i don't think the appeal of Italian 90 certainly for me but probably for a lot of people who still remember it and love it is solely to do with the football although of course there were many iconic and memorable moments and and dramatic moments that happened throughout it potentially more than any other world cup finals mm-hmm. um in terms of things that you remember that weren't necessarily you know great moves that led to a goal and what have you but i think it's also down to like the fact I was, I was 13, just turning 14 in, in the summer of 1990. Um, so, uh, you know, I've heard it said before that the World Cup that's closest to your 14th birth, birthday is, is what you would call to be, say, to be your World Cup. So that applies straight away to me. Um, and then you think about things like uh, music. Now, of course, we think about and Dormer. You think about um, World in Motion. The, the the tunes that were related specifically to that competition but then if you go through a lot of the stuff that was in the charts during the night in the summer of 1990 um you realize that it was quite an excellent time for music you know you had stone roses and happy mm-hmm. mondays and stuff like that if you were into that though all the dance music scene was was really kind of starting to to flourish big time and become popular in the wider public not just in your underground rave scene which pr- perhaps it was a couple of years earlier pop music was pretty good you know your basic you know your madonnas and all that kind of stuff with an mc hammer and what have you I mean all of, <laughs> of these it's on things. the block yeah <laughs> well okay i wouldn't go that far <laughs> but um, <laughs> You know, a lot of that stuff feeds into stuff that you remember, isn't it? It's, it's just yeah. nostalgia. And, you know, this. you know, you guys do a, a brilliant nostalgia podcast. Nostalgia sells. Everybody loves looking back, especially at times like this. And, you know, I there was no way I could have known that something like this was going to happen. But, you know, everybody finds some sort of pick me up in looking back uh, and finding the good things and, and holding on to them and, you know, finding them, uh, you know, like a comfort and what have you. So, you know, maybe that's going to be one thing that, that uh, appeals to people. Uh, in June when we released the podcast and it's going to be as you said a daily um, release to coincide with each day where fixtures were played at Italia 90 so starting on June the 8th when of course Argentina played Cameroon in the opening game of Italia 90 on that day Um, and then uh, finishing on June the 8th when the final took place of course between Argentina and uh, in West Germany and why Italia 90 again think about the setting of the time uh The end of communism, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the end of the Cold War, the end of apartheid. uh, You had the Poll Tax riots, the Strange Ways riot, the end of the Thatcher government, etc., etc., etc. It was just really quite a uh, intense summer for one reason or another. And I think what we're trying to do in the podcast is not just trying to remember what was a great goal or who was a great excuse me who was a great player, but also we're we're taking a topic each day of the podcast, whether it's related directly to Italia 90 or not. So we'll talk about the games, yes, and, and you two have both been great guests on the show, so you know how it goes. Yes. You know, we'll we'll summarize each game, uh, talk about some of the action, but then we might go off on a bit of a tangent um, in, in uh, various episodes. You know, we'll talk about Ness and Dorma, or we'll talk about World in Motion, but we'll also talk about, you know, Costa Rica's version of World in Motion, or... Uh, <laughs> Czechoslovakia's version of World in Motion, or we'll talk about, um, uh, for example, we've got Kevin Allen on the show. I don't know if you've ever seen the the brilliant video diary that he that he made. Uh, and Kevin Allen, if you if you don't know, is the the director of Twin Town, uh, famous film from from the late nineties, um, and, and Keith Allen's brother as well, which is kind uh, of a dual connection there with the Italian And we talked to him about you know following the England uh, supporters around Italy and you know always trying to dodge the Carabinieri from caving his head in with a bat on or whatever so we try to and we've got um, all sorts of people on the show to talk about uh, different things not just related to the football
0: it's esteemed names though for sure it's people that we we want to hear about have got great great knowledge of the tournament um me and matthew excluded but matthew we had a great time on the podcast didn't we it.
1: Yeah, well, I've actually I could I think I might be able to trump you, Ash, because I think I've I've been on it twice. Um, oh. I was on there with you, and uh, then I, I I was on there with um, the great Keith Hackett, the, a referee, uh, the referee who Keith a, re- Hackett, yeah. a referee who when I was growing up I was convinced was a Liverpool fan because he always seemed to give Liverpool penalties at the cop end, um, but obviously I know that's not the case now. And um, yeah, Keith Keith was great as you were as well, obviously. But um, it was an honour <laughs> it was an it was an honour to be on there and, and to to be involved in something with these names I mean just those names you mentioned there reading them off I mean what a what a what a role of honour to be to be involved with so um, I was absolutely delighted and it's and obviously it's right up our street isn't it I mean we can talk about this kind of stuff all day and when we, well, we, uh, have, we often yeah. we often do
0: <laughs> yes we have for five years and, and we're going yeah. to the so what so what we thought we'd do today we'll do our own sort of slice of Italian 90. I mean, we did do an Italian 90 uh, episode. I mean, this is way back when the podcast first started. We had Kevin Sheedy on it as well. I think that may even been what we used to do in the studio. So I, I think maybe episode three or four. So we haven't really talked about it in depth. Um, I know, Matthew, we did your diaries at some point as well, didn't we, uh, during... <laughs> welcome yes
1: night. oh yeah the treasure diaries yeah they're locked should away I, back in the vault should I,
0: should I roll out should i roll out the, the jingle for that maybe i'll put the jingle on the end maybe if i can dig it out of the i've switched computers so i'm trying to transfer everything from old computer to, to new computer but so what we thought today we would just pick out our own sort of bests of italian IT without going into too much detail and stepping on mark's toes because we all want to listen to that podcast when it drops in june so we're going to just kind of bests and worsts um with Let's start with Matthew, because Mark is obviously, we're going to call him the expert in this genre as we go through it. So, um, your notes from last week. I tried not to look that little picture you sent me on WhatsApp last night, Matthew. So, let's start. Uh, yeah. With-
1: yeah, I forgot <laughs> what eagle eyes you have
0: for that kind of thing. <laughs> Nosy, some people would call it. But let's talk about <laughs> players then, firstly. Um, if you could pick, I mean, there's a plethora of great players, somewhere there that Mark's already mentioned they are on the show. But if for you, who what sort of players stand out for you from Italia 90? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I was thinking about this obviously last night and, and the last few days when we we decided we were going to do this. And and to me, it was a case of is it best or is it favourite? And yeah, know, that, that can very much depend on your your point of view. I mean, for me, the players that spring to mind when I think of Italian '90, I mean, personally, I loved Lothar Matthäus. I thought he was fantastic in that Germany team. Um, Roger Miller, of course. I mean, talk about icons of a tournament. I mean, there's 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 a player who. Obviously, wasn't the best player in the tournament by far, but a, a man who you couldn't mention this tournament without his uh, his image springing to mind. But um, one that really stuck out for me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that thought this, but it, it had to be uh, Salvatore Toto Scalacci. I, I just thought that I just thought if there was ever a tournament that threw up uh, a sort of a random hero that 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 I wouldn't say was never heard of again or never heard of before, but I mean he was completely almost unique to this tournament. I mean, normally the players of the tournament. Uh, the, when you come into a World Cup, of players that, that, that are on the periphery of becoming great or the, you know, like Mar- Maradona in 86. Obviously, people had, had heard of him and he was making his name in, in the early 80s. And it, it all came together at, at, at one time and he became the, the greatest player in the tournament and the greatest player in the world. But for Scalacci, it was almost like that was just his one big moment in life. And he he embraced it and he he went with it. And he was and, and not just that, he was really effective. I mean, he scored, what was it, five goals for that? Italian team, um, and and but then in terms of club, and his personal career, really never really capitalised on it. It was almost as though he felt he'd done everything he possibly wanted to do in that summer. I mean, it's a bit like a it's like a microcosm of that World Cup, really, for so many reasons. It's like a you know a, a, a snapshot of of a of a lifetime. Um, for four weeks, everyone was focused on Italian 90 and everything that went with it, and that includes uh, Toto Scalacci who after the World Cup never really set the world alight, as far as I know. I mean, he had a pretty decent goals per game ratio, but um, so after a lot of umming and ahring and deliberating, I, I I went for him as my sort of, maybe not the best, maybe not favourite, but certainly my iconic player of um, of this tournament. I mean, he, he obviously made a huge impact. So uh, it, 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 I tried very hard to think of somebody rather than him, because I thought he might be an obvious choice, but um but no, I'm, I'm going to have to stick to my, my first answer, I think.
0: Yeah, it's always become the, the benchmark for, I mean, we don't get it. We, we've said this before on the show that we don't really get that surprise package anymore from tournaments because the plethora of football that's out there, the social media, the, the amount of football you can find online. We don't get that surprise package, that player from nowhere anymore, which is really kind of sad. That was kind of always a nice quirk to these tournaments that you get those kind of players. Um I think, and, and Scalacci, I imagine Mark is somebody you've you've already covered in great detail, and I think you can echo what Matthew's saying there, right?
2: Uh, absolutely, yeah. He um, his story is uh, is quite interesting actually, because uh, as Matthew said, his his window in time uh, to to grab that fame and to you know be the kind of if you, if you Google Italian ninety. Um, You know, uh, many of the images that you're going to get are his, you know, as he wheels away in his goal Mm -hmm. celebration, you know, open mouth, staring, you know, joyous, a bit like Marco Tardelli, really, in 1982, doing a similar thing in the World Cup final there. So, yes, Galacci's story, as you said, he he had that sort of golden period when he first joined Juventus, scored a lot of goals, um, got himself into the uh, 1990 World Cup squad kind of at the last minute. Of course, he, he was about fourth or fifth choice striker. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't even, um, you know, first choice. He, he was behind Gianluca Vialli and Andrea Carnavali at the beginning, but that didn't work for Italy. And then both he and Roberto Baggio uh, came in, and of course the rest is history. But after that, yeah, he didn't capitalize. Uh, he, he suffered a wee bit from from injuries. Uh, didn't work out for him at Juventus because they had Baggio, they had Vialli, they had Casiraghi, so they they had options. So if he wasn't doing it. You know, he was straight out of the team. There was none of this playing through until he, he got back into form. And as I said, he struggled with injury. Went to Inter, didn't happen for him there. But then he, he had, a, you know, a quite, a, quite a nice little end to his career over in Japan for a few years where he, he did well. Um So, yes, I think he is kind of the icon of the tournament for me. And as Matthew said, Mateus was brilliant. Roger Miller, what a great story that was coming out of retirement at 38, which seems pretty young now, considering that I'm 43. Um, (laughs) And, you know, we can't not mention Paul Gascoigne. Of course. Objectively, um, having a great tournament and being England's standout player by a mile and, and announcing himself to the world, what a lot of people already knew here in England about him. But, of course, the whole the thing about the tears and just his, his whole personality and how it lifted England uh, and English football uh, during that summer. And, of course, Italian 90 was very much one of those things that helped uh, the momentum uh, of the Premier League begin to gather uh, for as it came along. Because it became such a marketable thing, didn't it, football, after being in the doldrums in the, the 1980s. So I think those four are the the obvious ones. And you, in reality, you can't really get away from, from any of them. But rather than best player, I'm going to choose, let's say, best underrated player of the mm, tournament is the one I'm going to pick out. And again, maybe I'm just trying to be a nerd here, but um, I'm going to go with someone slightly left field, and that's Guido Buchwald, um, the, the German midfielder, who, um, again, having spoken to both Lipbarski and Berthold, they both cannot speak highly enough of Buchwald and the role he the role he played. Um, even amongst what was a great German team. you rattle through that um, with Vuller, Klinsmann, um, Matthäus, Augenthaler, Jürgen Kohler, and so on and so on. Absolutely amazing squad. Um, but they said he was vital to their success. And I remember him stepping forward out of defence a lot. And he kind of, he helped the Germans become not just uh, the power team that they were, and they were renowned for being, but he made them a lot more fluid and exciting. And dare I say it, a much more likeable german team which you know is something that's a bit alien here in england for us to think of it like that way so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go with Buchwald as something somebody a little bit more uh, you know not 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 an expected choice
0: no yeah, good choice that's uh, we want to hear that matthew sorry we're we gonna say that no no no
1: i think i oh, was just uh, muttering in agreement
0: yeah good agreement <laughs> um i think what of my choices today because i'm a slight no no not mending any offence, but I'm slightly younger than present company. It's my kind of first, real first memory of football, um, Italian 19. A lot of what I've learned since, I remember, but actually at the time, it's very England-centric, and it, my dad sitting there explaining to me who everyone was, what we did and stuff. So Gaza, obviously, the Roger Miller wiggle was, was something that made me laugh at the time. But for me, what made me fall in love with the England team, apart from Gazza, was Gary Lineker, it was... Like, I think he doesn't get enough credit for Italia 90 because at the time going into it he was obviously one of the best strikers in the world. He was a top scorer at 86 and he was like that hero. He was I mean I've always gravitated to players that score the goals. I don't know if you've seen that thing going around Twitter that, over the last week the, the four players that have changed your life or you grew up watching blah blah blah. Um, and I did without even thinking I did my four and they were all strikers, players that were born just literally to score goals. Um, I think I chose Wegley, who is slightly different, but then uh, Davosukar later in the in the decade, Michael Owen, and then Charlie Austin, and they're all players that scored goals. And Lineker in that in that World Cup, that's what he was, that was his role. You know, there was you know none of this modern day where he had to be involved in the play. He was there to score the goals, and then every moment that England needed him to score that goal, he did in every round. The two penalties at Cameroon, you know, the goal at the opening game against Ireland. I think Lineker, and it's a shame that what happened. The toe injury. We never got to see the best more of him the, the, the following years. But I think for me, Lineker in that World Cup was just the man. I, oh, well, you know, I had number ten in the back of my England shirt. That was that was all for for Gary Lineker, So for me, I'm going with 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 Lineker. So hope that any any thoughts on Gary Lineker, guys?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. When I because he played one season at Everton as well in '85, '86, yeah. and scored you know scored a ton of goals. Um, and of course then was brilliant for England in the '86 World Cup and. For the next four or five years, was was obviously our, our premier striker. Um, yeah, he was always my favourite player. And you mentioned about you, you know, you wore number ten when you played. Um, he played number eight for Everton, so and, and Leicester, I think, as well. Um, so whenever I played and uh, in junior teams and so on, I would always try and play uh, number eight. So that yeah, Lineker was, and of course, he was this uh, squeaky clean image. He was, yeah. you know, every he was the housewife's favourite, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he was he was England's hero at the time, even above and beyond someone like Brian Robson, who was probably England's most influential player at the same time. But yeah, Lynn, from, wasn't necessarily the best player, but yeah, he was Mr. Reliable, Johnny on the spot, certainly my my favourite England player, favourite Everton player of that time, even though
1: he was only there for one year.
0: Yeah. Matthew, thoughts do on Lindica? Do you echo what we're saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, I agree. I do think he's, he's slightly overrated, uh, underrated, sorry. Um, you know, it's almost like he's, you know, partly because of his sort of media persona now, I think he's quite self-deprecating and everyone, you know, he likes to take the mickey out of himself. But, I mean, if you if you had an English striker like him now, I mean, you've got to think how deadly he'd be and how expensive he'd be. I mean, in terms of what he achieved at club level, I mean, like Mark said, his, his record at Everton was phenomenal. I mean, I remember that season. I mean, he was absolutely deadly. And then, of course, he, came, he became one of the most sought-after strikers in Europe going to... Uh, Barcelona, which was obviously a huge thing back then, um, and he and he did it for his country as well. I mean, he, he sort of almost was the complete Roy the Rovers type striker at a time when quite often England would have these uh, strikers that couldn't quite do it for they could do it for club but not country, or they weren't picked because they were maybe they didn't get on with the manager. They just there was various reasons why um, England struggled with the with qualification for tournaments, you know, through the seventies and and uh, didn't get to World Cups and European Championships because they didn't have players like this that could that could routinely bang the ball in against all levels of opposition. I mean, remember he scored five goals in a game against Spain in 87, was it? 80, something like that? Yeah, 87, I, mean, it, I think, yeah. Yeah, away at Spain, he scored five goals. I mean, this guy wasn't a, a bit unlike Scalacci. He wasn't just a, a flash in the pan when he got the golden boot for the 86 World Cup because you know, he, he kept that form going across across the English gay, club game and then in Europe and uh, you know so he, he's, he's got to be up there obviously his record speaks for itself because he very nearly broke that the England scoring record I think in a way oh, it, it, it was a shame oh, yeah, still yeah I mean it's obviously a personal shame for him that he didn't but it almost I think if he had it would have it, his sort of standing would have been a lot higher and I know that sounds obvious that's stating the obvious but um you know, I mean, there's every chance he could have been England's all-time high, you know, record scorer. And it's it's a shame that he didn't get that, that accolade, I think, because um, he certainly I choose,
0: deserved it. I choose Lineker over Rooney every day.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, different, different types of players, obviously. But in terms of his, yeah, in terms of his, what he did, yeah. I mean, you can't, I mean, that's a discussion. I mean, it is, it's a different, he's a different player, isn't How he? he? They they
0: are up, up, yeah. I
1: know. It's just, I, mean, I mean, I, was I mean, was a. Too. I mean, you don't get players like Lineker now, do you? Really, <clears throat> you know, you don't get those sort of sniffer characters that pounce on things and play on the shoulder. I mean, really, you've got to, you've got to be a Rooney. You've got to drop back and do all the things that people say that you've got to do. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're any worse. I mean, I loved the old-fashioned sniffer poacher type player, but yeah. um, but now I nothing but but, but respect for uh, for Lineker and um, now brilliant player. So no, I definitely wouldn't definitely wouldn't scrub him off that list at all. I, I think that's a good a good addition.
0: Good stuff. Well, let's talk games then. Um, as Mark said at the beginning, it's often seen as a bit of a defensive World Cup, and some of the football isn't lauded as many other tournaments. But Mark, if you could pick a game for you, what what game stands out from you from the tournament? Uh,
2: well, I'm not going to even attempt to go with anything obscure here. <laughs> it has to be uh, the semi-final, yes. England versus West Germany. Um, Simply the most intoxicating, suffocating, dramatic game I think I'll ever watch. Um, Euro 96 semi-final, you know, just a smidge in behind. And in fact, the England Cameroon quarterfinal was pretty yeah. dramatic. Big uh, you know, we, we got battered and we should have gone out. But yeah, it has to be the semi-final. It's just such a seminal moment in, well, not just English football, but in English
0: culture, really. No, I think you're right. I think you sum it up in that. It's, it's, it had everything, didn't it? Literally, it had everything you could want from a semi final. And I think we've said this before, Matthew, haven't we? that England seems to always be involved, especially in this decade, in the best games of the tournament, which makes our job slightly easier because we're obviously more focused on, on those games. But this, as Mark said, is, is a seminal moment in that tournament, isn't it?
1: Yeah, the, the only thing I'd take issue with, with there about England being involved in the best games, I mean, let's not forget the Ireland game, the Egypt game. I mean, they were pretty... They were stinkers, they to be were, fair. Yeah, they? they were.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, I know what
1: you mean in terms of drama and excitement. They were. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I coming up with my sort of favourite game or best game for this, I certainly considered the England-Cameroon game because uh, yeah. I just thought that was so dramatic. And so, you know, I mean, I remember going into that game. I don't know if you remember. You probably both remember. But, I mean, England, everyone in England, just assumed it was a bit of, it was a, it was a buy, really. It was like, oh, we've got, we got Cameroon in the next round. Yeah, we're going through. And people really didn't pay them any respect at all. I mean, I'm sure the players and the manager did, but, I mean, the fans, it was just assumed that England would, would walk through that game. And, I mean, what a shot they had. I mean, they were what, eight minutes away from going out when, when, uh, mm. when England got that penalty and uh, made it 2-2. And then it was such a high-octane game. I mean, it was absolutely exhausting to watch, I see to remember. So, I mean, I was going to pick that as my, my favourite game. Um, and then I was thinking of the opening game just because it was so iconic. I mean, that whole, you know, it was something not we'd never seen before. Game. Yeah, well, not so, yeah, in the game, but the, the, the atmosphere and the occasion, you know, the, the San Siro as we'd never seen it before, you know, it'd been done up and, and we had those, that iconic look with the sort of, the, the four cylinders in each corner and that, that that sort of weird roof. It looked like a, a spaceship, didn't it? When they cut to the, to the ground for that opening game. And um, yeah, and what a shock. And I think everyone was so sort of, I seem to remember everyone willing on Cameroon because everyone was still had a real sour taste in their mouth after the the uh, Mexico '86 World Cup with Maradona. So when Cameroon beat them, it seemed like a huge sort of feeling of euphoria across the nation for sort of bitter reasons among among a lot of people. But um, I actually went for the Germany Holland um, match in the in the knockout stages purely yeah. just because of the. Just because of the sort of tension and the and everything that surrounded the game, I mean, these are two teams that have historically never never liked each other. Um, and obviously, in '88, they'd had for previous form and had met in the uh, knockout stage, hadn't they? Um, Holland had beaten Germany in the semi-final, I think it was, um, in a in a huge occasion. So the, this was just two years after that, and you had some of the some of the best players in the game: uh, Boller, Van Basten, Hullet, Rijkaard. I mean, it was almost the it was almost. It would have been the ideal final, really. I mean, the fact they met so early was probably um, the, the organisers are probably quite disappointed. But from a, in terms of a, a game, I, I remember as a kid, well, a fourteen-year-old watching it and really thinking this is a huge sort of World Cup occasion. It was that one, and of course, it was a, It didn't really disappoint. There was the needle on the pitch. Obviously, there was the double sending off. Um, I think it was in the first half, wasn't it? The Valla card incident, the, yeah. the spitting yeah. incident, right. um, and then Germany. T- Took a two-goal lead. Holland pulled one back from the spot, and it sort of put a bit of pressure on. But I just thought it was the classic sort of needle World Cup game that everyone looks forward to. It's usually in the sort of semi-finals or or beyond. But um, it was. I uh, just to me, it, it was the first one that sprung to mind. Like I said, I tried to dance around it and think of some other games that I thought I might have overlooked. But no, I just thought this this was Italy '90 to me. It just had the the, the iconic look. Um, uh, two great kits a host of great oh, we'll
2: players
0: get there. we'll um, get there
2: yeah just a, just a, just a couple of points on the, the the cameroon thing and then the germany thing if i can okay. um i am just in the you know the research for the podcast um you know the um the england had had a scout scouting report done on cameroon uh, and it got back to bobby robson that, that they had nothing to worry about and that they were naive and lackadaisical and you know that england, england were going to sail through the, the the to the semi-final i mean you know, it couldn't be any further from the truth as as we saw in the in that quarter final. But I also read that there was a bit of a split in the Cameroon camp. Um, firstly, because of Roger Miller, uh, many of the players didn't want him to be there. They they didn't like the whole situation of him um, being brought out of retirement and the president lobbying to have him uh, selected for the squad. So so weren't, things weren't quite as hom- harmonious as we were perhaps led to believe or we perceived at the time. Um, and also a lot of the younger players. Um, by the time they got to the quarterfinal, they weren't getting paid or their conditions weren't particularly great. And a lot of the young younger players actually were, had had enough and they were ready to go home. Um, so they got to that quarterfinal, got England on the ropes, you know, could you know should have won. But perhaps their, their heart, their commitment of half of the team weren't really in it. So England perhaps got away with it in that respect, mm-hmm. uh, if we're talking about Cameroon. And just on to, to Matthew's choice of... Germany, Holland, which is an epic game, um, not least for for Jurgen Klinsmann's performance, which a singular performance in in Italian ninety is probably up there with the best, if not the best. Um, and of course, there is the the famous uh, Reichard Vuller incident. Um, maybe you've mentioned this on the show before, but there was I think it was in uh, nineteen ninety six. The two of them were brought together um, for a for an advert on. Um, it's like the breakfast was, shot yeah it was yeah they're sitting there in their fluffy bathrobes, yeah, yeah, and yeah. They're, they're, it's for butter so you know that the hatchet was buried eventually um and, and actually uh, that 1990 game with all the animosity and the right thing kind of was a bit of a watershed and we talk about it on in specifically in one of the episodes um with uh, with a german guy the, the editor of uh, kicker magazine and, and a dutch author we talk about it and it kind of came as a, a bit of a watershed in german dutch relations in football but also in society, yes, they have still have a bit of needle between them these days, but nothing like as bad as it had been going back as far as that uh, 1974 World Cup final. Um, and again, Matthew mentioned the Euro '88 semi-final, um, which was very bad, very bad-tempered, uh, and it ended, of course, with a, with Holland winning uh, close to the end with a I think it was a Marco Van Basten goal. And at the end, when the two teams swapped shirts, swapped shirts, and then remember this, the semi-final took place in Hamburg. Uh, in, you know, German heartland. Um, Ronald Koeman takes the, the Germany shirt of Olaf Tone that he'd swapped and proceeds to wipe his backside with it in front of the crowd. So, you know, the all the subplots that went into that Germany-Holland game, uh, them alone made that a classic. But the game itself, um, you know, absolutely stunning. It would have been worthy of a final. Um, but yeah, Holland screwed it up as Argentina had. Uh, the draw by being so poor in the group stage, and that meant we had that Super Sunday where Germany played Holland, um, and then in the afternoon before it, Brazil played Argentina. Argentina and again, yeah. just to just to mention a little drop in a drop a name here on our episode where we talk about uh, those two games, um, I'm joined by the BBC's Barry Davis, oh, my, my absolute favourite commentator, who believe it or not, and he does a fantastic bit of commentary for that Canega goal. Um, once again probably my, my favourite amongst all of his and he's done some absolute classic lines um, it's the one game of Italian Italia 90 that he could not remember commentating on.
0: Oh how strange how strange <laughs> oh, Barry, uh, Barry Davies voice I mean, there was an article in the new four, four, uh, the Euro 96 four, four, two, um edition in January with him and Motson and they had an interview and stuff and John Watson's a fabulous voice does, but for me, oh, Barry Davis, what what a legend, absolute legend. I look forward to listening to that, uh, Mark. Um, my, my game quickly was going to be England-Cameroon because of all the reasons you've mentioned. I also remember I had a VHS, which I was going to lead to the end of the show to say, but I remember the I had two VHSs after this. I had Gascoigne's Glory and england's world cup heroes two separate uh, video releases and i wore these tapes out to like to the point that they didn't work anymore because i used to watch them over and over again and the way that the they edited the england cameroon game just made it even more dramatic as well they had this like clinky plonky music and you know the the drama of gary Lineker scoring two penalties that were different one that went straight down the middle even now i see it i'm like it's not gonna go in but so yeah, that England Cameroon game does stand out for me, and also because uh, we haven't really mentioned them so far, the Ireland Romania game. The game itself obviously wasn't it was nil nil, wasn't a great game, but the penalty shootout and to see Ireland and, and you know this team that they did again didn't expect to go as far as they did. That always stands out for me as well. The more the penalty shootout and and Paddy Bonner's saves um, rather than the game, but that that's always a standout uh, moment for me. Um that's us quickly talk about goals as well um, from Italia '90, full of goals, and I'm. I'm gonna you know complete my England trio of choice which is a little bit stale I know but this is one of my favorite goals ever so I cannot not choose the goal of the tournament and for me David Platt's volley against Belgium um, I don't think I've ever seen a volley like it since the way that he turns and meets it in such perfection in you know it's the last minute of extra time Gaza's perfect ball the celebration afterwards when they all jump on each other Li I don't think I've seen a player more happy than Gary Lineker is at the top of that huddle. His, his face is just absolutely beaming. It's like the emotion is sucked into you from there. And I remember watching it at the time, going mental, running around my house, and watching it since. The technique... I mean, David Platt is another player I think is vastly um, underrated of that era. Obviously, he went to Italy and did very well out there with Juventus and Bari and Sampdoria. But from that goal... I mean, if I was going to do my top... probably top five goals ever, I think that goal would get in it. Just because of the technique, the timing... And just the moment, the staging, for me, it's just one of the... Have you talked about that goal on, on the show? I'm sure you have, Mark. Uh,
2: yes, we will talk about that one indeed, uh, as as well as plenty of others. But you're right. What what an amazing goal, an amazing time to do it. Again, another game where England probably should have gone out. Uh, Belgium were at least 50-50 with England, probably slightly better. But yeah, and, and Platt was kind of the coming player got his chance because Brian Robson, who we thought yep. once upon a time England couldn't do without, um, had to go home injured. And Platt, his natural successor, who'd been brilliant at Villa that season, remember, came in and did what he did. And then, as you said, very underrated, was probably England's best player for the next four years while yeah. we were, you know, the Graham Taylor years where we weren't that great why he gets and lost. Gaza was injured.
0: Because yeah. in those years, it seems a transitional period, it's obviously not it's revered not very well because of Graham Taylor. I think it gets lost how good David Platt was during that time until you're up to United 96 and even then, he was a steady hand during that tournament.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Probably our only world class player at that time, again, without Gascoigne being particularly reliable. Um, yeah, if you think about the England team that we had post 1990, and don't want to be too disrespectful, but um, Carlton Palmer, Andy Sinton,
0: don't mean uh, to uh, about Andy Sinton. I thought I would
2: drop that one in Ash and see if you see if you picked it up um yeah but good players good players don't get me wrong good players yeah, not well but they weren't world class in the same way that platt became you know and, and we didn't really have that many uh because of that okay. Italian 90 era it, it was kind of it, it was the end of that cycle wasn't it? not only for bobby robson but so many of those players robson butcher uh, shilton you know the key men that was the, you know, things were changing, and and then of course a new man came in and had his own ideas, and and some players flourished, some didn't, and Platt was one of the ones that did.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's it's really Platt got his big opportunity purely because Brian Robson, after a few drinks, decided <laughs> to go into G- Gascoigne's room and tip him out of bed, and accidentally rolled the bed over his toenail, and uh, that's why he missed the World Cup. See, that's 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 how it works out these things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's, that's, that's the. That's uh, how- That's the story, apparently. Yeah,
0: Yeah. That's tournament football for you. Um, Matthew, why are you there then? What what goal have you picked?
1: Um, Well, it was a straight choice for me. There was none of this sort of top three and whittling it down. And you'll realise a lot of these are very German-centric, and there's a reason for that. Um, I was in the second year at school for this World Cup, and I was given the opportunity to enter the sixth form sweepstake, um, where everyone threw a fiver in. And the winner took it all. And uh, as a 14-year-old, I was—I remember being bundled into the common room with the sick former, who were see who at the time looked like they were about 35 compared to me. And uh, I put my money in, and I drew out West Germany at the sweepstakes. So you can <laughs> you can imagine how popular I was amongst a load of like 17-year-old lads. But um, so I pocketed the 35 quid or whatever it was, probably more than that. Um, but I just I loved the, the German team, and I, I know they were seen as a bit. You sort of love him or hate him at the time, but in terms of goals, it had to be the uh, Lothar Mateus one for me, um, Germany against Yugoslavia. Um, I'm sure you know the one I mean. Power. Picks the ball up, absolute power. Yeah, I mean, if there's ever, I mean, I've always loved a, a driving, surging sort of midfielder. I mean, you could, probably goes back to the Brian Robson days, but uh, English teams always seem to have them. Every team seems to have them. You know, that that sort of general that would pick the ball up and surge forward. Um, and he did that, just that. I mean, he picked the ball up with a good ten yards inside his own his own half. Um, I don't think he was even in the D. Um, turned, and just surged forward and left a I don't know whether he was a midfielder or a defender that sort of came at him for dead. Uh, Swerved the hips and then cracked the ball right into the into the far corner from a good thirty yards out. And I just remember that being a real sort of wow moment. And and that Yugoslavia team were a decent team as well, you've got to remember. I mean, I know, I know Germany demolished uh, somebody 5-0, was it? Was it Saudi Arabia? Uh, United Arab Emirates, I think it was, wasn't it? The, USA, wasn't yeah, it? 5-1, yeah. Like, yeah. And, um, you know, there were some corkers <throat> in that game as well. And you, But you can almost put that down to the opposition. But this goal, I just thought, summed up everything I loved about football at the time. That sort of uh, pioneering, surging midfield General that would that would pick the ball up and and not be afraid to run at people and then and then not be afraid to shoot from thirty yards out and and it wasn't just a speculative effort. I mean, you put it right where the goalkeeper couldn't get it. And um, yeah, I mean, I, we could probably make a case of several other goals being better than this, but to me, it just summed up it summed up the tournament. And um, it was a team I really liked. I did like that Germany team. I know though people sort of criticised their style and what have you, but I. I did like that German team and I liked a lot of their
0: players. So to me, it was a natural, uh, a natural choice for this one. Mm. No, it, it, one of my favourite goals as well, as I said, full, full on power. Um, Mark, what's your choice and does it have the word Baggio in it?
2: <laughs> well, it, it came under consideration. I'm yeah. talking about Matthew talking about Matthew's choice there. I don't think I might have been the BBC um at the time who did one of their you know tournament montages, but I can't watch that Mateus goal um without the soundtrack being applied to it of Ride of the Valkyries by Wagner. You know what oh, you know okay. the yeah, soundtrack? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, just that, that awesome forward drive of Mateus and Germany. So I think that's particularly apt. Um yes, Baggio's goal is a cracker, uh, again in the context of it you know, him being brought in. You know, the world uh, world record transfer at the time, uh, such a great goal. Um, but actually, no, it's not my choice for the, for my favourite. Whether it's the best goal, again, it's a difficult one to say best and favourite, isn't it? But I'm going to pick uh, Canidia's winner for Argentina yeah. against Brazil because it's a great finish, first of all, because he had to round Taffarel yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then put it in with his worst foot, his left foot. Um, from, you know, a, a, a narrowing angle. But I think more so for Maradona's uh, run when he's being, uh, you know, he, do, he bounces off one man, he's being you know, heavily pressed to the turf by uh, another Brazilian. To get, and then he threads, like, the most intricate ball through the tiniest of gaps, you know, right to feed to Canidia, uh, with his right foot as well. You know, Maradona didn't use his right foot. Uh, and then, yeah, that great finish. And, of course, it accompanied for us, at least, by that um, Barry Davis uh, commentary. So, yeah. And he gets the ball through, Can he jump? Goal! Yeah, I'm going to pick that one. But if, if you go back through Italian, the Italian 90 goal catalogue, there are lots of forgotten stunners that you could pick as potential best ones. Uh, Hwang Bo Kwan's for career against uh, Spain, for example, in the group stages. And then there's um, another one against Spain, and that's Dragon Stojkovic uh, scoring for Yugoslavia. Uh, in the round of 16 so there's a lot of goals there uh, Belgium I remember scored a couple of crackers that nobody ever remembers um, but yeah I, I, if I've to come down on one it's going to be um, Canada against Argentina again probably for what it meant as much as how good the goal was
0: good stuff um, right to finish then we I've got a miscellaneous category so just as as Mark put at the top of the show actually Italia 90 although the football as we've said, wasn't maybe lauded as much as it, it could have been. And, and the games, it's the moments and the things around the tournament that kind of have stood the test of time. Um, I've got lots of these that just reel off. So um, I'll, I'll go in the middle. Um, Mark, um, Mark, let's start with you. What miscellaneous, what thing from uh, Italian 90 stands out for you?
2: Um well, I am gonna. I had to think about this because there's a lot, as you said. Yeah, there's so um, much. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, and, and doing doing the podcast and and running the social media accounts for it, and people like chipping in, and, and you kind of they remind you of a lot of things that, that sort of you know you'd absolutely popped out of your head. And it's the merchandise yes. that was Italian ninety related. So not only did you, of course, you could buy a Coke can, uh, a can of Coke, sorry, and it would have you know the the Chow the logo on the side. But you could get. Uh, Would you able to get yo-yos? I'm sure you did from coke cans, or maybe that was the a promotion, a different promotion. But the stuff, you know, the foot, the little mini footballs you could get, uh, which I think both of you probably had, and I think I, most of the I've country had. I've still got had. sitting on my yeah. shelf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, key. You know the key rings, the uh, stuff like um, you know, little little car. You know the what do you call them? Uh, not Hornby Tonker or uh, yeah. Hot Wheels. You know that yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All just random stuff was plastered with Italian. I think you could actually buy a fiat at the time. I don't know, I don't know which model, I mean, they were all rubbish. Yeah, the guides
0: uh, from is it classic football shirts? I think they yeah. bought
2: one. I saw it. Right.
0: Them. Yeah. Right. I, they yeah, did the, like a road trip.
2: Them, yeah, you see them um kicking around on the internet yeah. saying, Oh, you know, I had this or by the way, this is on eBay and it costs, you know, more now than it did in nineteen ninety. Yeah. which you know for a 30 year old Fiat is a bit of a push just for having a a sticker on the side um but yeah i would i would say merchandise because there wasn't a thing you couldn't buy and i'm sure it was a hell of a lot uh, more um common in italy the stuff that the weird stuff that you could probably get chow and and what have you written on it but yeah i w- i would say the merchandise i think it was the first world cup where there was a real marketing push, especially towards kids of our age. Not just things like panini, which had obviously been around and were, were well established in the the football supporters' culture, uh, especially for youngsters. Um, but yeah, all the other stuff you could probably get shoe polish with with chow <laughs> on it, or or red, red red different you know red and white colours, and you know different Italian 90 cheese and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to go with merchandise as the yeah. the random stuff that's that's not it didn't endure. But now it's come back to me. You think ma- magic, you know, such tat, but glorious tat.
0: Oh, I love tats. Uh, my, my wife will test to my You know, I love a bit of uh, football and wrestling tat. That is kind of what my world in, is in my office. Uh, speaking of which, I've got this. I bought it when I when I did the book, The Alive and Kicking book. And uh, I was looking for stuff on eBay to, 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 to photograph and stuff. I've got like. I don't know how, how big to describe it. I put it on the Twitter feed at some point. It's like a sports car model that's decked in chow and Italian. I have no idea where it's from or why I have it. It looks pretty cool. And I'm not really into cars whatsoever, but I bought that. And that's a kind of a bit of a random um, Italian 90 bit of, of merchandise. I've also got, I try and need to dig this out of the loft. I tried to find a picture of it um, on the internet to put on Twitter, but I've got this A3 annual of Italian 90. It's a beautiful book. Um, it's mainly picture based and literally the pictures of full page a3 and it's just a guide and a review of the tournament but it's such a special book um it, uh, it's the reason it's in my loft. it's so big i don't really have a shelf space for it but i should get it out at some point and and put it on the twitter feed and and, and stuff because it's an amount i can't remember where i picked it up from someone probably bought it for me for a christmas present or a birthday present um, but it's an amazing book i've always kept it wrapped up in bubble wrap and everything like that because it's such a it's like a, a Bible, almost, of the tournament. The pictures really are amazing. So, yeah, on merchandise, I agree with you, Mark. There, there is so much. Um, for my miscellaneous, though, I mean, you could pick... The pop song, you know, obviously World Emotion is the greatest football song of all time. I love Free Lions, but World Emotion is the king of all pop, of all football songs. So I agree. In Ness and Dorma, the greatest bit of classical music ever. Absolutely spine tingling. Even when Leicester won the league, I found myself getting goosebumps when they played that. So, again, the music of it, as you mentioned at the top of the show. But, Matthew, you know what's coming. You know what I'm going to say. The kits of Italia 90 are redonk. They are absolutely. When you talk about great kits and the greatest kits of all time, I think you'll find three or four of them. At this tournament, obviously, the Germany one is always lauded as the probably the greatest kit. of all. It's not mine. Everyone knows what mine is. It's four years later. But Germany is a a second. The England kit, probably the best set of England kits there's ever been. If you count the red away and the blue that they only wore once as well. Um, The Italian kit, the Cameroon kit with the big lion. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Full on. Italian 90 was pretty much kit porn. Every nearly every team had a, a standout kit. Um, from the tournament so yeah for me it was all uh, all about the kits um but yes merchandise as well matthew finish us off What, what else can you add to the the miscellaneous category of this italian 90 look back
1: this is a bit of a random one and obviously it's a difficult, there's so many things you can think of. I was trying to think of, you know, maybe goal nets because, you know, I'm fascinated by goal nets and how well, they I used Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they were pretty, They were pretty universal in this tournament, though, weren't they? They all seem to be the same kind of, you know, diameter and, and shape, and whatever. But it's a bit like the, the along the same lines as Mark with his sort of branding. I'm going to go for the. TV coverage, but but yeah. in, in particular, ITV's coverage of this World Cup, because I think a lot of people go with the whole Ness and Dormer thing and Des and Jimmy and all that. But, I mean, personally at this age, with the age I was back then, I loved the sort of freshness that ITV used to bring to football coverage. I, I think BBC did a job and they did it well, you know, the sort of very straight down the line with, with Des Lynham and Jimmy Hill and, and all that. But I loved the fact that ITV just sort of took it and ran with it. And that, that starts from the top with their their world cup theme tune which was called i think it was called Two tutti amundi by rod arjun which was a brilliant sort of it, very much at that time that sort of 90s pop synth drum machine type music and the and the graphics i don't know if you remember they were sort of like black and white shots of rome and italian cities with the sort of uh, green and white and red and and i mean it was just I mean, you, you have to find the uh, YouTube of, of it, but um, I just thought it was really exciting. And then the coverage itself, because I've watched quite a bit of this, and I'm sure you have, Mark, doing the, your research, yeah. but the fact that they had the, the sort of World Cup Saint-Greavesy and, and then you had mm. Elton Wellsby, my old mate Elton Wellesby being the sort of roving reporter out in the, in Italy, and then you had people like Tony Francis and Gary Newborn and, and uh, Jim Rosenthal. And it was just classic ITV of that era. And, it, and it, very much at the time, you know, I was. Ash, I always bang on about the match and how yeah, I think it, how I think it changed football coverage in forever. Really, before Sky did. I mean, Sky I think came along and took the ball and just ran with it. But you know, the way ITV they wouldn't just get a live game; they would have a magazine package around it. They'd have St. Greasy around it. They would have a an ex-player in the in the studio. They they I just found that kind of approach to a tournament, which was already exciting anyway and fresh. But um, I just thought it it, it really if a gay, if to me as a young geek that would watch anything that was on f- television about football, I just found their coverage fascinating and really vibrant and interesting. And I know everyone goes on about Ness and Dormer and everything, but I just personally, I I think the uh, ITV's coverage of this World Cup I thought was really good. And and it only really came to me when I was watching a lot of these old snippets on YouTube because I thought that's actually really it's it's the sort of thing that you'd expect to see now on on sort of cable tv rather than back then when you didn't really have a lot of time dedicated to live games and magazine shows and build up so a bit of a obscure one but um but yeah and 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 a big mention for the itv theme music because it i thought it was a really good good sort of uh good track but obviously overshadowed and didn't stand a chance against ness and dormer but um very underrated in my opinion it's um
2: it's interesting you mention uh Ness and Dorma, Matthew, because uh, in one of the episodes I actually interview uh, the guy whose bright idea it was to use Ness and Dorma <laughs> in the BBC uh, opening and closing credits for Italian 90. So we get to hear the whole story direct from the mouth of uh, Philip Burney, who, funnily enough, is still at the BBC, is the head of um, TV sport. And uh, you mentioned that, you know, you you really enjoyed the ITV coverage. I always remember being a BBC person at the time only simply because i couldn't stand the adverts on itv uh, and as yeah. you say everything you just mentioned there about itv's coverage and brian moore was a great commentator and they had uh, alan parry was there john holm was there for the itv uh, for itv and you mentioned satan Greavesy and all that stuff yeah brilliant and, and going back even further to to the match they did uh, they did uh, football really well at the time um but I just had this thing about having to sit through adverts. That well, you I don't think you're the yeah. towards BBC, but then again, we didn't have we only had four channels at the time, so yeah. you know, adverts seemed intrusive into our lives or into my life back then. Whereas now, you wouldn't even give it a second thought.
1: No, I, I don't think you're the only one. I mean, obviously, BBC is a sort of go-to for most people when there's a big sporting event. You know. Historically, famously, when there's the game, when there's a match on both channels, everyone seems to watch it on BBC. And I assume that's why. But I've just always felt that ITV have always had a little bit more creativity in terms of what they do. And and um, <clears throat> obviously not in recent years, but when they had opportunities like this and when they got the match, they just they just use their sort of creative juices and and I just really used to appreciate it as a kid that would you know you'd look through the tv guide and you'd see that there was a saint greasy and then there was a an evening roundup and then there was something else and then there was, and you had this sort of <clears throat> stable of great old broadcasters well they weren't that old at the time but you know people like John Helm and, and Tony Francis and Rosenthal and all these great names it just to me it was uh it was just so exciting and um yeah, and I'm, not, and I'm not being contrary. I mean, I'm not against the BBC coverage. I just, I just felt that the uh, ITV just did it really, really well. And then this, and of course they got slated for their '94 coverage, famously. So I just thought I would, um, I would even up the balance and just say how I thought they did the '90, uh, nineteen ninety uh, 1990 World Cup coverage really well.
0: They also had the graphics as well across the board with both channels. The famous Italian 90 with yeah. the kind of dots down the side and then along the bottom, and then the flag sort of waving. I mean, they're very iconic. Those graphics, aren't they? Because they both, I imagine, that was the standard for the like as you get in the tournament, So both channels use those, and I always remember them graphics standing out completely. I think they used yeah, it in more so th- as well,
1: more so than any other World Cup, really. Yeah, I assume, that, I assume they all come from like the host broadcast, you know. So yeah. They yeah, they get those, Olo- but I don't. Oloveti.
2: Olivetti yeah. with the, the computer firm who, who did the graphics, that's right.
1: I don't recall any other World Cup standing out. The I I...
0: 94 ones are very blocky, if I remember rightly. Um, very American and brash and bold um, from yeah. the era. Um, off the top of my head, I don't remember the France 98 ones. So yeah, you're right. And after that, obviously, football doesn't exist for us. So I, I can't really remember post-2000. <laughs> post, post 2000. But the 1990 <laughs> the 1990 ones, especially, they are uh, the very iconic um well that was, i enjoyed that absolutely hopefully that gave you all a respite from all well, the horrible stuff that's going on in the world at the moment a look back at italia 90 um, mark just one more time give us a plug um for the podcast yes uh, the podcast is called Vinciera, the story of
2: italia 90 um we are at vincera 90 on twitter and instagram that's v-i-n-c-e-r-a 90 um, we've got a preview episode up where I'm talking to Simon Hart and Pete Davis for about half an hour, just to give you a little taster of what the show is about. Uh, and this is where you can also find, uh, the podcast come the summer. And that's on anchor.fm slash Vintura. That's the host. But of course the podcast then goes out to all the places you would expect to find it like Spotify, Apple, Acast, um, you name it, you'll find it wherever you if you just type in R or Italia 90, you'll be able to find us. So hopefully uh, you'll enjoy it over the summer. And um, yeah, follow us on Twitter and all that. Give us a shout. We always like chatting about Italian 90 as, as you guys do. Um, yeah. So hope you, you know, I'm looking forward to it and uh, it's going to be a busy summer. Um, hope uh, Hope everybody enjoys it.
0: Well, as there's no tournament now as well, we can can literally relive Italia 90 because obviously there's no Euro 2020 anymore. It's going to be Euro 2021, although they're not changing the name. Who knows? Nonsense. Uh, Matthew, where can people talk to you on the social?
1: Um, Well, seeing as they aren't allowed to come within two metres of me anymore, (laughs) they'll have to go on to Twitter and find me at Matthew J. Christ. And it's the same handle for Instagram as well.
0: Brilliant. Good stuff. You can follow me at Ash Rose UK, but as I always say, more importantly, follow the show at AK nineties on Twitter, at AK nineties pod on Instagram, where I will try and upload some more stuff on Instagram. I'm very much Twitter, but I'll get on the get on the Instagram a bit more over the summer as well. And um, we will be back more regularly. We're gonna give you some respites, I keep saying, from the, the horrors of, of what's going on in the world with some nineties chat. So keep an eye on the Twitter feed for our next episode. Stay safe. Um, out there Um, until next time this is alive and kicking keep it 90s